0: Hello, hello, hello. Hello, and welcome, and welcome to, to LaughBox. LaughBox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip
1: Lux. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is Chip Lutz, the unconventional leader. And today I get to talk to Jeff Harry. Man, I am so excited because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, the integration of leadership and play. This is like well, a sweet spot for me. So welcome, my friend, to the podcast. Big cheers to you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure's mine, man. Hey, so like for my listeners, because obviously we've talked a little bit and I've been through your website, so I know a little bit about you. But for my listeners, if you give them like the 411, the hot skinny on who Jeff Harry, this man of mystery is.
2: Sure, sure. (laughs) So um, my name's Jeff Harry, I run an organization called Rediscover Your Play, and I basically play for a living. Uh, and when people are like, well, how, what, what does that even mean? Right? So I always like to tell people this, like, so when I was in third grade, do you remember the movie, Big? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that with Tom Hanks and he got to play with toys for a living. So I started writing toy companies in third grade. And then I just never stopped writing them until I got into the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten what you've always wanted in your life and then you're so disappointed when you get there. But like, you know, I arrived into the toy industry and there was like, there was no play, there was no fun. There were no high fives. There was no toys. There were no kids. Um, And I was in New York and I just like had my, you know quarter life crisis and like left New York, moved to the Bay area bumped into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. There was maybe seven seven people, just nerdy dudes. Uh, and they were playing for a living. And I was like, this is what I wanna do. And they were paying 150 bucks a week. So it was like a joke of a job, but I basically helped them and we grew it into like the largest Lego inspired STEM organization like in the country. But the whole time, we built it. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just playing. You know, we we had no business plan. We picked cities that we thought were fun. We hired people that we thought were fun. Uh, and we were just kind of making it up as we went along. And we got so big that because we're in the Bay Area, we got the attention of Silicon Valley, like Facebook, Google, all them. And they're like, hey, do you do team building events? And we're like, yeah, of course we do. Of course we did it. We just didn't know what we were doing, but we just said <laughs> yes to everything. And, um, and I, you know, we ran them for the next seven years with these organizations. And one thing I learned, well, I learned many things, but one thing I learned with a lot of these Fortune 500 companies is they talked about agile, they talked about disruption and innovation and all the buzzwords, but they weren't willing to address the bigger issues that were preventing the place from being a playful place. So like they couldn't achieve any of the things that I believe they could achieve. Because it wasn't it wasn't play oriented, so I created Rediscover Your Play to like tackle the bigger issues like how to have a hard conversation at work, how to deal with toxicity at work, how to deal with office politics, how to get your staff in flow, how to deal with inner critic work, like all of that stuff. Because I felt as if like these are serious subjects, but someone should bring some play into these subjects. So now I I combine positive psychology and play to tackle a lot of companies' biggest issues.
1: Man, well, I am super stoked to talk about that stuff. Woo, yes, because I, I I, think that there's, you know, theory is nice, but application is what works. I mean, that's kind of like I, how I live my life right there. So I'm really always interested in the application of things. And then, you know, listen to the people that are smarter than me. Usually I can figure like, man, I've been doing this for a while. I just didn't know that was what was the reason it worked. So I'm excited to have this conversation. But before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you a, So I like a random question just to get our conversation going. All right. So you got brothers and sisters, Jeff?
2: I got two older sisters.
1: All right. Your older sisters, when you were growing up, what was the thing they used to torture you the most with? Like, you know, to this day, you're still like, you're still like, you know, one day vengeance will be mine.
2: Yeah. So um, I love playing G.I. Joe and they love playing Barbie. So for every hour of Barbie, we could play half an hour of G.I. Joe, but it always became like three hours of Barbie and like 10 minutes of G.I. Joe. (laughs) And mostly, and this was, and I remember this clearly, um, the, the way we would play Barbie is I would sit outside the dream house while they would get ready to go on a date and then the date would never happen. So I would just sit in this car for hours, just hanging around. It was like it was like the worst, dude. And then G.I. Joe would come visit Ken and be like, what are you doing sitting in that car here? Come over and play in the Tetradome. And they'd be like, we're almost ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that. I got a lot of patience with that, but I'm still bitter, as you can tell.
1: Yes, uh, that's, and that's pretty cool. That's cool. I mean, like, uh, I didn't only had one older sister, but we had uh, GI Joes and stuff. And um, actually before GI Joes, because we were like six kids, we didn't have a lot of money, we would make paper GI Joes. And um, when I was a kid, yeah. Okay. That was. Uh, yeah, I would
2: paint my Hot Wheels. I did that. I did a lot of painting of Hot Wheels, and badly too. Like Knight Rider had like a big red spot at the front, and it nice. was like, "What is that?" Like it's supposed to be. A rider.
1: <laughs> it's awesome. Well, we talked a little bit about you're uh, your kind of like entryway into the world of play, and I think that's really interesting because I think that you know we talk a lot about in uh, today's business world, like you said, about uh, innovation and disruption, but nobody really knows. I I don't think for the most part, it's just buzzwords, just like empty words. Um, So let's talk a little about some of the work that you've been doing with companies as far as like really making those words a a reality within how they do business.
2: Yeah. So so a lot of times companies hate the word play,
1: right? They're like, it's
2: frivolous, it has no purpose. And and I mean, hey, you know, just, just to be clear, I define play as any joyful act where you're like fully present in the moment where mm-hmm. it actually has no purpose, it has no result. You know, you don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You're just fully in the moment, right? right. You're, you're in flow, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies don't like talking about play but they love talking about flow, right? They love talking about how do I get the most out of my staff? So usually when we're like, well, why is play important? I, t- I tell a lot of organizations, I quote Stephen uh, Johnson, who says, you know, you'll find the future where people are having the most fun, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the organizations that are having the most fun, those are the ones that are thriving in 2020, right? The, the TikToks, the Hulus, the Disney Pluses, the Netflix, and the ones that aren't having fun are the ones that will become the next blockbuster. So, you know, like (laughs) people's ability to, I mean, it's just true, right? Right. Like think about that meeting of Blockbuster first came across Netflix and they were like this stupid company's mailing DVDs to people. People are just going to steal these DVDs. They're going to go out of business. You know, like they weren't even willing to experiment or just even be open to it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and you just think of all these archaic organizations, heck even like, you know, parts of IBM right now. A friend of mine used to work there and then left and was like, man, leaving there and going to some other tech companies, just knowing how like, they're just faster. They're just willing to experiment more. They're willing to like make more mistakes. And who? And I've been saying this for a while, whoever is willing to, to make the most mistakes in 2020 is also going to be the one that thrives the most in 2021 mm-hmm. because they're like, they're there, right? And I even... I even reference, um, I was watching the Amazon documentary. I mean, I don't, I don't really like Bezos, but I was still watching it. And early in in Amazon's career back in 1998, he was solving some of the most interesting tech issues at that time. So all the tech heads in the in, in Silicon Valley wanted to be there, even though he was paying nothing, they just wanted to be there, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I provide that context first. Uh, And then when I'm working with organizations, I'm all about figuring out either how to create an inclusive workplace so people want to stay, you know, because like toxicity costs a ton of money, it actually costs $223 billion over the last five years for Fortune 500 companies alone. And Mm -hmm. that's only the ones that were willing to admit they had a toxic person, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you have hard conversations? So I'll work with organizations like that and we'll actually practice through play how to have that hard conversation. And then with other organizations, like actually, I just ran that toxicity workshop with the Department of Homeland Security of all places, right? That was Mm -hmm. super interesting. And then with like a biomedical company, I was working with them to just get their staff in flow. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the work that they do best? Because if I was to tell any team leader right now, especially in this virtual environment, I'd be like, look, figure out what, go go to your staff like on Monday and go, what is the work that you love to do most? Awesome. Oh, you love to talk to clients. You love to connect with people. What percentage of time do you currently focus on that. Only 10% of your time. How can we get it to 12 to 15%, which is really like just an extra hour or two a week, right? Mm-hmm. But doing that would communicate to your staff, hey, I care about you. I'm listening to what you know your needs are. I'm allowing you to be you at this job. And all those benefits will lead to less turnover, which is what a lot of people are thinking about right now in a virtual environment because they're like looking for other jobs on their Zoom calls.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting because like when you're talking about mistakes in 2020, I mean, I look like this, like 2020 has just been one big mistake. So if you haven't made mistakes, right. if you haven't made mistakes, I mean, yeah, I, what, what are you doing 'Cause I mean, it's just been an entire year of, you know, trying, you know, see, hey, let's see if this works. Okay, it doesn't work. Well, let's try this instead. I mean, that you've I mean you've had to be nimble. Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, but you'd be surprised the amount of companies I come across that are still trying to do the exact same thing that they did in twenty nineteen. Like they're not adapting. They're like same type of marketing, same type of sales, same type of, or heck, even worse type of connection over Zoom, same number of meetings over Zoom as they did in person, which just like a lot of that stuff doesn't work, but they're not even asking their staff what will work. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just trying, they're just trying to get back to normal. And the reality is, is we're never going to get back to normal. There'll be a new normal.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, thinking about like the whole virtual world that a lot of us been working within this past year, um, trying to shift that paradigm and say like, you know, taking the old thing as far as meetings and put them in the new like virtual uh, worlds and making them halfway fun. I mean, how do you even do that?
2: Well, I mean, first you have to focus on what is your goal of the meeting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, why do we have hour-long meetings? Because some calendar software set that up a long time ago. They don't have to be an hour. They can be 12 minutes. They can be 22 minutes. Like, don't just have needless meetings, right? Mm -hmm. I think the next part is then figuring out what is the goal of that meeting. I tell a lot of team leaders, the goal of that meeting sh- should be for your staff to leave energized, to leave motivated, you know, forget about like going through the to-do list. They know what to do, you know, you mm-hmm. can do that one-on-one. I have a a friend who, um, you know, is his a leader of his department. They just have lunch like three times a week over Zoom. Mm-hmm. That, they don't even talk work. And what he's doing there is he's just communicating a certain level of like cultural, you know, like right. he's just, focused on culture here, right? Also, we have to take in consideration, like, positively priming the meeting. A lot of people don't know the first person that speaks at a meeting actually frames the meeting for the rest of the day. And I'm not talking about the actual meeting. I'm talking about the first person on the call. So if someone's talking about their baby and, you know, and all the fun things that are happening, that actually frames the meeting. But if someone starts with complaining, mm-hmm. then it can be meeting extremely unproductive. And you don't have to be the leader to do that. Anyone can positively or negatively prime the meeting. So we just have to also be aware of that, right? You You know, so like, don't waste your time, you know, have people leave motivated and positively prime the meeting.
1: That is so interesting to me because yeah, if I think about it, I think about the meetings that I've been in over the course of the last eight months or whatever, um, I never really thought about that. Because if you have, you know, a couple of people on there that um, are like, early birds to the meeting and they are, they're talking about things it certainly does frame it a little bit differently whereas if people are on there and they've got like their screen off they're not saying jack and then somebody was like you know yep. all right then the yep. boss gets out so, all right let's uh let's uh let's get this meeting started here, uh, we, got of, here. Yeah. we got a lot of things to cover it certainly is different right. and i guess you know because I, I i know that you know with emotional contagion i mean emotions are contagious positive and negative yep. and certainly yep. that's um I never really thought about that in a virtual environment before but it certainly you know is true that. um, uh, You should really you know hey whoever's on first have something ready to talk about you know engage let's have let's have a good let's have a good meeting like you know. starting that or if you're the leader being the first one on to like um you know like uh, frame it like you said a little bit differently, I think that would be so important.
2: I think, yeah, that, I mean, just also bringing a certain level of shared humanity. I tell a lot of team leaders like, hey, um, why don't you yes and for the first 40 to 50 minutes of a brainstorming meeting, right? Uh Where like, there is no no right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they do that in design thinking all the time where you throw a bunch of stuff on the board. You get as crazy with the ideas as possible, but everyone sees their idea on the board. And maybe in the last 10 to 15 minutes, you then start circling the ones that most resonate. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just like, it's subtle things like that. But if you, so imagine whenever you've started a brainstorming meeting, by the way, just having a brainstorming meeting in a box you know, sitting in a box table just is like the worst, right? For Mm creativity's sake. But being that like we're in the virtual space, you know, imagine doing a brainstorming meeting and the first thing that someone says, the boss is like, that's a bad idea. You've already shut down. It's not brainstorming anymore, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's poop storming. You're just pooping on all the good ideas. Right. So then people don't want to share anymore. You're not going to get the best ideas from people. So you as the leader have to be like aware of what type of energy you're you're putting out there, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, they've talked about this even at meetings that there's an there's a there's an uncomfortability that you actually have to sit through in order to get the best ideas, and a lot of times leaders shut down the meeting before that because they're like, okay, enough of this, let's get back, you know, we're getting too far off topic. And it's just like sometimes you need to actually go really weird in order to find that best answer.
1: Now, why do you think that um, there is all this uh, trepidation for people on um, doing something different? I mean, just from your experience. I mean, because I know that uh, for me, I'm always about let's let's just try some different things. It, it, like I grew up in the military and so in the Navy anyhow, and that's what I always enjoyed is that he was always like, hey, well, let's try this, all right it didn't work. All right, let's try this over here. I mean, we, we were always just like, we had plans, but we never really followed them. So it was always kind of, it was, it was always something morphing into something different. Right. Um. So, you know, thinking about, and maybe that was just me as a leader that, you know, it's like, I, I'm always about trying something different, but it always seems to me like when I go out there and I talk to people, there's always this trepidation of like, well, we can't, we can't try something different. What? No, we, right. we, you know, so right. why, do you, why do you think that is? I I think we're conditioned.
2: Right. So I always, you know, people always ask me, why do adults not play enough? Mm -hmm. And I always say it's 148,000 no's. Uh, And (laughs) what I mean by that is there was this, there was a study done by the time you're 18 years of age, you will have heard the word no 148,000 times. Right? Like hundred and forty-eight thousand times, right? And then, and then, yes, I believe it's between eight to ten thousand, depending on who raised you. So, so you start with that foundation, and then you go to school where you're told to raise your hand all the time, you're told to ask permission, and then you have adults constantly shooting on you. You should major in this, you should do this. You know, the amount of, think about the amount of times when you were a kid and someone was like, What are you gonna do when you grow up? You should actually do this. And it's like, I'm five. Like, why are you telling me what I need to be doing right now? Like, right. I want to be a national. Ah, that doesn't sound practical. It's just like, let me let me dream for a moment, right? You'll so, never make, so a
1: that, that.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay, make a living doing like, oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll make a Like, oh, and I'll get into what that means. But, you know, and then you go to your teenage years where, and especially now, where you're bombarded by media and now social media, You know, we get more information in a day than people got in 1950 in a year, right? Mm -hmm. So, and all that information is telling you you're not enough. You need to be somebody else. You need to emulate someone else. You know, it's just, just don't be you. And then people are constantly—I'm sure you heard this in the military—you know—stop being too mischievous. You're being too much right now. You're being too weird. Why do you want to start a podcast? Why do you want to make videos? Like it's just strange, man. Why are you so mm-hmm. strange? So, so all that's happening—that it's such a rebellious act for you to play, for you to try something different, for you to be like, hey, let's just experiment, because everyone else. Is operating from the space of like, is this right? I, I want to be right. I, I don't want to look stupid. You know, right. You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? Everyone is, everyone is tiptoeing all constantly on these like eggshells, trying to impress one another. When it's just like, I just find that just a waste of time.
1: <laughs> I, I agree. And, and there, there's you know, certainly that element of fear for people of, uh, being different or looking different or uh, sounding yeah. different, um, and not fitting within the confines of what the norm is, you know, within, you know, wherever they're working. Um, that, that is a lot of pressure for people yeah. to kind of break out of. And I think that's, you know, creating that kind of culture where people don't have that element of fear is really, you know, like you said before, going to keep you from being blockbuster. I mean, that's really the key right there is that I mean, I've always looked at the heart of innovation is being the absence of fear. That you've got right. to, you know, there, there, there can't be, if you're going to innovate, there can't be any fear. You've got to be able to get out there right. and just be as stupid as you want to be.
2: But in order for people to innovate, they have to believe they can be themselves. And I don't think in a lot of companies, people feel they can do that. You right. know, uh, Viola Davis always says um, this quote, like with every decision you make, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth. For the rest of your life and like how many people do you know chasing their worth like trying to look for external validation like mm-hmm. i always ask people like who are you trying to impress right now like if you're trying to impress someone that you won't care about in a year you know or in five years and who cares what they they think but most people are like always worried um and if you are if if that leader is able to create a space for people to at least be more of themselves, maybe not their full self, but at least more of themselves, they're more likely to share. And, and I heard this, oh, this bothered me so much. Um, I think it was, they were interviewing top executives back I think in 2018, and they asked them, I mean, these are like the VPs, right? Like right, above, right before the CEOs, they asked them, how many of you are willing to share your top ideas with your leaders? And like 70% of them were like, I don't. <laughs> like wow. so right now we are getting we have all these mediocre products like there are better products that could have happened <laughs> right but we're holding the mediocre
1: ones because someone did want to speak up right we're just like living that's we're just li- where we're at we're living in good enough Hey, we're just this is the good enough. We're like, good enough, like, like that was enough. a
2: dumb idea, but whatever. You know th- this 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 phone like you know sharp battery dies after like two hours, but uh whatever. I mean, I have a better idea so it could last last eight days, but no, don't don't listen to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's so. a, yeah, it's, it's good enough. It's good enough. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. We're,
2: we're, we're living in. People are people are shopping Black Friday for good enough products out there.
1: It's <laughs> so sad. Um, so let's uh, uh, talk about maybe uh, some of those things where leaders can do. To I want to I want to talk a little bit uh, more because you uh, you touched on a little bit about the toxic uh, workplace and you know. But I think this yeah. kind of tethers nicely into it as far as you know creating that atmosphere. Um, what leaders can do to, you know, really put that into play for, uh, put play into play? You know, how do they do that?
2: Yeah. So first I always like to preface this as usually the toxic person is also the brilliant jerk, right? They bring in a lot of revenue usually, (laughs) you know? Um, And I don't know why that happens, maybe because they bully people into, you know, selling or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. they, you know, a lot of times they're the brilliant jerk. But as Simon Sinek uh, said, you know, when he interviewed the Navy SEALs, they were like, we never picked a brilliant jerk regardless of how athletic, how smart, how brave it doesn't matter because it destroys the team. Mm-hmm. And you can just see the sports analogies of this, right? Like Ken Griffey Jr. When he left Seattle Mariners, they got really good. Alex Rodriguez, when he left the Texas Rangers, they got really good. You think about that in football as well. Just like, you know, when, when toxic, even if they're the best player leave, everyone else steps their game up. So like that, that's just the context. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and I, yet you know, and I mentioned to you earlier about like how much people are losing regarding turnover. So if you think of that brilliant jerk, even if they're bringing in a million dollars a year, if four people quit this year because of that person, that might be costing you like $1.5 million, you know, in turnover, just like due to training and all that stuff. So actually, and I always refer to this person as Chad. It's easiest that way. Chad is costing us half a million dollars, you know? So we just have to put that in context. So how to address that? Um, there's a lot of different layers to do it. Um I'll go from easiest to hardest. So easiest is usually that toxic person is taking up a lot of the meeting. They're sucking the energy out of the meeting. Uh And they're probably talking 80% of the time. So whether you're the leader or whether it's a group of people, you know, you organize around that. And you're like, listen, we're going to start occupying this meeting. (laughs) Like, We're going to start taking back this meeting over the next three to six months. Mm -hmm. So when Chad cuts off, Samantha will be like, whoa, hold on, Chad. This is can we hear what Samantha has to say? like you just are constantly getting each other's back and making sure that you're occupying that. That's the first thing because you have to really it's all about setting boundaries and making sure that you are very clear that this person can just can't just run amok because they've been run, they've been basically doing whatever they want for so long um, And a lot of people that first arrived to the company are like, well I guess the rules apply to everyone, but they don't apply to Chad right mm-hmm. So you don't want that culture. The second thing is to actually confront Chad directly. Um, And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. It's just like, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, do that potentially with somebody else. But a lot of times that toxic person doesn't know that they're toxic. They -hmm. don't know the impact they're having. So when you approach them, you don't attack their character because that's, I think, what we always like to do because that makes us the hero in the story.
1: So you're saying saying, saying that going up and say like, Chad, you're an asshole. Everybody knows you're an asshole. Yeah. You know you're an yeah, asshole. You're an asshole. <laughs> That's okay, not the approach you, you want.
2: Thanks for having me. You know, like, you could do that if it made you feel better, but you're not going to accomplish your goal, right? So you, instead of attacking uh, character, you address behavior and the impact it's having. Mm-hmm. So you go to Chad and you're like, yo, when you cut off Samantha and, you know, Chip and Jeff during the meeting, That communicated to them all that they didn't, that you didn't want to hear what they had to say. Mm -hmm. And also you communicated to everyone else at this meeting, you don't want to hear what we have to say. Is that your, is that your intent? Mm -hmm. Is that what you were trying to accomplish? And you never know, you might be surprised, Chad would be like, oh, I didn't even realize it did that, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, they might be an engineer and just be really bad at communicating and be like, oh, sorry. And then you can actually manage up at that point. But there might be the situation where Chad will be like, yeah, I did that and F you, I'll do whatever I want, right? It's like, <laughs> so it's like, okay, thank you, Chad. And then that's when you either have to go to their supervisor or their supervisor's supervisor. And and they're and not in like a tattletale way, but more in a like, hey, does this person match up with the mission and values of the organization? Because Chad has caused Samantha to start thinking about leaving, Chip, as well as Jeff, they're all thinking about leaving. And frankly, he's already had three other people leave because of this person. Mm-hmm. Is this what we want? You know, is this what you want? Is the, and, and really tie it to the bottom line. Like, how is this affecting the overall organization, our team specifically, and frankly, everyone's pocketbook, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, if they are like, oh, you know, uh, I, I, we tolerate Chad. Then you have a decision to make as to whether or not that's the right org- organization because right. they support Chad. But so, then the hardest one, the hardest one to do, this is the most difficult one, is the inner critic, the inner a hole. So let's say you leave that organization, you go to another one, you might bump into another Chad, and you're like, oh man, they just follow me everywhere. And what's happening is the reason why that person triggers you is because a part of you believes that. A part of you believes you're an imposter. A part of you believes you don't deserve to get paid as much as him. A part Mm -hmm. of you believes you don't have anything to say at the meeting. But if you're able to address that internal stuff and be like, wait a minute, I should be paid more than Chad. I should actually be his boss. I should get that promotion. You know, I deserve to be here. The next time that guy is super rude to you, you could be like, Chad, don't ever disrespect me in that way. And when you say that and you set that boundary, everybody else right is like oh look at that chip and jeff just stepped up to chad like wait a minute i'm gonna step up to chad too and then everyone starts to get more bravery mm-hmm. everyone starts setting boundaries and then chad has a choice he either changes his behavior or he's gotta go
1: so a little disclaimer for all the chads out there um that might be listening yeah. this was just used you know generically like the person i always use just is generically is, is todd um but uh Todd, but um, I like that. Freaking Todd and Chad. Todd and Chad, but you know it's so true because you know ignoring problem behavior makes it acceptable behavior. That's that's just it right there. Exactly. Yeah, you know, people are always going to treat you exactly. the way that you allow them to treat. Um, and you. A lot of times we think, well, it's just like this. It was like, no, I mean, you know, you got to kind of like step up your game and let people know like what's good and what's not. And I like the right? how
2: many organizations have you been part of where like you arrive and they're like this. It's just like this. And it's always been like this. Yeah. And, it's, and then you're thinking like, well, it doesn't have to be anymore. Right. right. So, you know, so when I'm running these workshops with my friend Gary. Right. And and we even ran these in Australia. We saw people laughing. Heck, we saw people crying in these workshops because a lot of people didn't realize that they were not the only ones that left a job because of a toxic person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, what we have them do in the workshop is actually practice to have hard conversations, because if you think about it, we don't get a lot of practice at work. No. You know, they just want us to work. They want us to produce all the time. So rarely do you get to practice having a hard conversation. Rarely do you get to practice like failing in that hard conversation because, you know, it's just like, yo, we got we to gotta produce all the time. And that's what we're providing is, a, is an opportunity to believe you can actually do it by getting practice the way like a, a, a sports team, like a football team practices all week for Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we be able to get uh, just a couple hours?
1: Right. Absolutely. Now let's, um, run me through kind of, uh, if you were coming in and do some kind of workshop, I mean, like, what does that look like? Cause it sounds to me like it would be a lot of fun. Um, but I'm sure that there's a lot of planning that goes in ahead of time, as far as like what the objectives are for, you know, what you're looking to get out yep. of it, but you know, how, how do you build that? And, and are Legos and Legos are Legos involved?
2: Uh, they used to be, not anymore. That when I used to run the team building stuff with my former organization, they were right. But now, like um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, depending on what we're trying to address, so if it's toxicity, you know, that's all about hard conversations, but and also getting getting people to a comfortable place to play to begin with, right? If we're running our flow workshop, um, I I do this with my colleague Lauren Yee and. Uh, we help people figure out what they love to do when they were a kid mm-hmm. and then identify the play values that they love to do. Like like she loved to do sardines and we'd be like, ooh, what's sardines? Oh, it's reverse hide and seek. Oh, why did you like it? Oh, because you know it took a lot of communication and collaboration and connection. And it was just kind of funny too, right? So it was like, okay, let's take those traits and let's look at what type of work you do now that that does that. Or do you not do any of that work? And if mm-hmm. not, how can we get there? And then we brainstorm a bunch of ways. You know, if it's the inner critic workshop, it's all about like identifying how, how to hear that inner critic. And then what we do is have people not only write it out and name the inner critic, but we have people actually act it out So, you can see how absurd it is to listen to your mean voice all the time, right? And be like, man, that mean voice, like Gargamel's my mean voice. It's like, man, Gargamel, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. And you don't need to be here right now because, you know, I'm doing just fine, Gargamel, you know? So, with each, so it's different, right? Each and every time. Um, Mm -hmm. But the whole idea is to first get people out of their heads. And back into like more of like their body and just like in their their senses, and what's interesting is when you get pe- adults to play, they start to see the inner child in each other, and that's when the shared humanity starts to build.
1: Nice, um, I really like how you you take it back to childhood because I I think about my own you know, like work life experience about like and you know, before I joined the navy there was a lot of things that I like to do that were creative, and if I think about the time that. Right. Um, I spent in the things that I got the most joy from were where I got to explore that piece, even in like creating a form for something like, you know, when word processing first came out and I got to play around and, you know, figure out how to make a form where it was like, oh man, that was, that was, those were the places that I really enjoyed um, my work. You know, it wasn't the other stuff, but it was it were those things right. right now, even now, the things that I enjoy the most um, and where I have flow, where, you know, time has no meaning is where I'm just like putzing around using my creative side on things. So I like mm-hmm. that you brought that out. I think that there's a great value for people to, you know, you know, even if you can't go to a workshop, sit back and think about some of those things that you used to really enjoy that maybe like have just gotten beat out of you during the course of your work life. Um, and how can you bring yeah. some of those back?
2: Absolutely. And I mean and I have two other suggestions if you want to hear them about oh, how Oh yeah, people absolutely. Can play more. So so a lot of adults don't know how to play because you you can't play when you have a lot of anxiety, right? And my uh, play mentor Gwen Gordon would always talk about how you have to soothe yourself. You have to like calm yourself down in order to play. And a lot of times you adopt that from the people that took care of you the most whoever nurtured you the most so Mm -hmm. if they didn't know how to do it well then you won't know how to do it well so that's just you know understanding that right but then you you think about okay what calms me down like i have some of my best ideas in the shower right other people have their best ideas like walking running playing basketball other people have their best ideas doing morning pages and writing three pages in a row like you know whatever that is making videos so first identify what actually soothes or calms you. And then the second challenge is, this is really hard for a lot of people, is I challenge people to get bored, which is ironic for a play guy to say that. Mm -hmm. But what I mean by that is like, stop binge watching Netflix, stop uh, uh, looking at social media. And when I say that, I mean, stop for a couple hours, not forever, not even for a day, I'm just saying a couple hours and get like bored, right? the way you got bored as a kid, because if you think about it, your best ideas as a kid came when you were really bored, like sitting in that like uncomfortability. And then you're like, wait a minute, I can leap from this cliff to this cliff. It's you mm-hmm. know, So you'd have your most dangerous ideas, but you also had some of your craziest, coolest ideas. And then finally, when you get bored, that is when you are starting to strengthen the muscle of being able to hear that inner child, that inner curiosity. And then it's gonna whisper weird, strange, fun things for you to do. Like, hey, start that podcast. Hey, you know, make that video. Hey start a side business, reach Mm -hmm. out to that organization you've been wanting to. What's an email or a thing you've been, I say this all the time to listeners, like what is something you've been really excited to do and also so nervous about doing? Right. Right. I was just talking to my, my sister the other day who like, you know, has dreams of becoming a sommelier, but also is like scared to do. It. And I was like, you got to do it. And she's like, no, and she's like pushing back on it. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, that's when you know, right. That's when you know. So you follow that curiosity and you just kind of see where that takes you. So that's just one of the ways.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, and I like that then, you, you can be that coach for your sister because so many times you want to step out and do something different, but uh, the c- circle around you sometimes are pe- the people that are going to like, uh, you know, crap all over you and be like, cause they don't want to see you change. They want to see you be just the way you yeah, are. They,
2: well, they don't want to see. Yeah. They don't want to see you change. And also their the prefrontal cortex is where the inner critic lies. Right. So they're actually trying, they believe they're trying to protect you from mm-hmm. disappointment, but they're also preventing you from ach- potentially being fulfilled when fully joyful, right? Mm-hmm. But here, this ties into the second challenge. And this is something that you could do with like your three to five closest friends or family members, the people that know you the most. You reach out to them and you ask them these two questions. Uh, what value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of people have forgotten or never w- have ever heard what what do they do for people? So like, what value do I bring you to your life? Like, why are we friends? Like, What do I do for you? Right. And you just hear that back. And then the other question you ask is like, when have you seen me most alive? And, and another way of ad- asking that is like, when have you seen me most present, most happy, most fulfilled, most playful, like however you want to a- ask it, but it's like, when have you seen me most alive and what value do I bring to your life? And when you get answers from those three to five people, it is a fascinating um, discovery to see how people see you. And right. a lot of times you're like, Oh even think about that that's how i got the name of my organization rediscover your play because people were literally saying like you helped me rediscover you know who i am and other people were like ah oh, you give me permission to play and then i was like rediscover your play and they were like yes that's it so like all those answers between you following your curiosity and hearing your friends give you those answers back gives you so much information as to how to play
1: Oh, that's, that's great advice. I mean, that's, and that's how I got the name of my business unconventional leader as well. As I went back to all the people that I'd worked with, like, what was different about working with me? Like, well, you just were, you were so unconventional. You just did things different than anybody else I've worked with before. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. I, I never thought that I was all that different. (laughs) I never thought that I was all that different, but evidently I was. So (laughs) isn't that,
2: isn't that interesting how people like, we don't see it. Right. Right. Like, see how i play and you you don't see how you're unconventional but so many other people do Mm -hmm. so when you when you first were told that what did you think on top of like i I didn't know that
1: um i well i maybe sit back and kind of rethink about um some of the people i had worked with and it was like well did i do things different from them you know and maybe really think about um my processes and how i go through things and really like and it really it really was a little bit different it's kind of like an aha realization moment for me that um that uh, i was a little bit off <laughs> <laughs> in a good way though in yeah. a good way yeah in a good way in a good way Well, I tell you what, my friend, I have really enjoyed talking to you. It's been like uh, talking to my long lost brother here because, you know, so many things you say absolutely resonate with me. Um, But I want to make sure that people know how to get in contact with you. So if like, if they're interested in getting them a little more um, Jeff, Harry, where do they need to go?
2: Absolutely. Just simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com and click on the let's play button where I have all these play experiments. And then also you can hop on a call with me. Where we can like figure out how you can play more to kick ass of this world.
1: Awesome. And I, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer that uh, one person can make a difference, that you don't need to be in a leadership ah. position to kind of like start the start that movement wherever you're at. Um, you know, that's uh, and I, I would think that your ideas would parallel that, that you know, if you want a little more play, take charge. Right,
2: right. Like, just know you can start a meeting. You can do crazy stuff and just experiment and see what happens.
1: Nice. Very nice. Well, like, if we were really at a bar, you know, having a beer, I'd give you some kind of drunk dare. But since we're not, I'm just going to ask you a few random questions from my overstuffed Would You Rather book. I'm going to ask you three questions. Are you game, Jeff? I'm down. All right. I always always apologize in advance because I never know where the book's going to open to. All right. So. Sweet. Question number one, Jeff, would you rather immerse your naked body in a bathtub of cockroaches or dive head first, dive head first into a pool of chewing tobacco spit?
2: Oh, no, the spit all day, man. Oh, cockroaches. No way. Never with cockroaches. Oh, I I, I think of Indiana Jones, Temple of Dome. Oh, he put his hand in that, that, oh, I was like, nope. Nope, 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 nope.
1: Yep, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. Um, All right. Would you rather? Second question: Eat fifteen feet of aluminum foil or swallow six steel guitar strings? Fifteen feet of aluminum Thick foil steel? or guitar yeah, strings.
2: Aluminum fifteen feet. That's so weird. Um, I mean, maybe the guitar strings because you can put like spaghetti sauce on them and pretend they're, you know, like noodles. (laughs) I
1: like like your logic train on that. You're like, You know what I'm
2: saying? Like, like, let me put some meatballs in here and then I can pretend that they're noodles.
1: (laughs) All right, last question. All right, would you rather have an eyelash permanently affixed to your eyeball or a prickly (laughs) burr permanently poking into your heel?
2: a prickly per-
1: burr burr poking-
2: what's a burr
1: you know like a like something from a sticker bush think about it like that you know like uh like something always poking in your heel like from a sticker bush
2: oh okay yeah
0: yeah I, No,
2: i that's tough man oh because i would hate the thing in my eye no nah, i don't want to i don't want to affect my eye no nah, I'll, I'll i'll take the thing in the heel i'll just okay. like i'll just skate around on it all the
1: time. Okay, I like I like how you kind of like you know have a a, a, a a serious logic training going through these. That's, that's I am
2: a serious logic training. I'm just like yo, you know, <laughs> I can wear those wheelies. I can wear those wheelie shoes, and then you're I never have to
1: push through them. all the all the possibilities in your head. Hey, well, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Like I said, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, a lot of fun for me. I got a lot from it. and I know my listeners will too.
2: Hey, thanks so much for
0: having me. Thanks for listening to Laugh Box. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes and or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is, unless you didn't think it was awesome, and then just keep it your little secret or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and may the farce be with you.